Hey friends, welcome back to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Michael Carey, your host, and I have a special guest today, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I feel like it's long overdue, Daryl Brazel. He is a pastor of New Hope Church, founder of New Hope Recovery. He's an author and a speaker, and Daryl, I've just uh, heard about you for so many years, and I'm like, man, you know, I... I've, I need to, I need to talk to Daryl. I need to call him Daryl. I'd love to meet Daryl and you're so many miles away, but um, I feel like you're a brother and I could just have coffee with you, you know, weekly and we'd have so much stuff to talk about. And so I'm excited to just have this time where we get to talk and have, have all these folks listen in on our conversation. So welcome. Good to be here. As long as I don't have to drink coffee, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I do, I have my coffee right here next to me. And so I'm good. I, I honor that. I just, <laughs> it's one of those places where, yeah, I'm a coffee wimp. I've thrown away a hot chocolate before because I stirred it with a spoon. Somebody stirred coffee with, so I've got some, I love the smell of it, but I'm not a coffee person. So there you go. Right on. Well, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the different pieces of our, um, uh, questions here that we planned and we talked about and prayed over and stuff. I'd love to just um, first start off by by asking you a little bit about yourself. You know, what was the process like for you getting into this sector of ministry to uh, you know find to to be the founder of this recovery program and the groups that you run and and, and the stuff that you've written? How did you get there? Well, it really goes back to, you know, even my days in high school, college, I knew in high school that I was called to ministry. Um, but I always had this struggle, struggle with pornography and um, sexual issues in, in, in my background. And so I had this, you know, this conflict of, you know, well, I've called to ministry, but I've got this big secret, went through college, graduate school and never opened up about it to anyone always thought okay if i could work harder if i can do more bible study if i can do my prayer list if i can be more disciplined etc cetera, etc cetera. and it wouldn't happen and so part of my journey was that there was never you know growing up in the church growing up with uh, I think a pretty good, clear understanding of Jesus teaching, you know, if a woman, if a man looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's committed adultery. There was never a day in my life that I looked at pornography that I didn't know it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find a way out. Yeah. So especially early in my ministry, my ears, my radar was always on listening, looking for anyone that would offer me hope and a way out. And so in February of 2000, I was actually attending a minister's retreat and um, a, minister, a pastor told his story and his journey. And it was exactly, it, that was my beginning place. That's when I opened up. That's when I shared with him and it was a small retreat setting and a number of other ministers. And out of that, that's where my recovery began. And so out of that, I, I, I knew that first night, I knew that, that, I, that God was calling me at some point when I was ready to be that same voice 
to be a voice for others that says, I've been there. This was how it was destroying me. And God has shown me a way out. And so that has kind of been the real core going all the way back to February of 2000, where I knew that um, God was calling me to be a voice in the desert, crying out and saying, you don't have to live this way. And I'm proof that you don't have to live this way. Mm -hmm. And so out of that, uh, I spent the first year uh, really just trying to survive by the skin of my teeth and not go back into my addiction. Mm-hmm. And then, um, th- well, I had one individual that I was meeting with, um, but it was more he and I were locking arms trying to find our way out of out of the rat's nest. And then in year two, uh, early in 2001, um, I opened it up. We started our first group. I put an announcement in our bulletin that if anyone's struggling this, see me and we're going to start a group. And so uh, I think it was April of 2001. uh, We had five guys show up for the first, uh, our first meeting. And we met in the basement, the basement of the church and told our stories. And one of them never came back. (laughs) And then over the next year god continued to add a few more men and a few more men and um so that was my beginning and that met with a lot of conflict in my church setting uh the church i worked for at the time didn't really want any part of it they they liked the idea and principle but they didn't want to be known as that church Actually, if you want the actual term, they said we didn't. They didn't want to be known as the pervert church. Wow, wow. So that over time, with my leadership at odds, led us, led me in um, the summer of two thousand and three to resign from that church, and I started looking for a church that I could work for as a recovery minister, a men's minister. And um, how do I put it? Um, The response I got was pretty much crickets. Uh Uh, Back at that day, it was still, uh, we don't talk about that. I had one church down in someplace in Oklahoma, maybe in Tulsa, one pastor who knew the need and was interested, but he couldn't, you know, just it never went beyond a couple conversations. Uh, in the meantime, God just kept putting some strange circumstances in front of us saying, okay, Daryl, I want you to start a church there in Lawrence based Mm. upon recovery. Mm. And I resisted, I fought, I said, there's no way I can do that in the sense of, uh, drawing, in essence, drawing a line in the sand and saying, okay, choose me or choose my form, my leaders. I just could not do that ethically. Mm -hmm. And then the strangest things happened. Um, The individual who was helping me with the group showed up at my house on a Sunday night. He was still part of the church that I'd resigned from. And he said, well, they did it. And I'm like, they did what? He said, they made the decision to disband and disperse. Uh, Just blew me Uh, away that they would make that decision. It was a viable church of, you know, 75 people on Sundays. They had 
$100,000 in a building fund. They own some land south of town. They were really in a pretty good position. But um, hmm. my kind of standard line is when you tell God no, you know, hmm. strange things happen. Because I think God hmm. was calling them to move into this ministry, wow. uh, move forward in a number of different areas. Yeah. And But it didn't meet what they knew. So, yeah. um, you know, when my friend told me that, I didn't hear an audible voice. But I pretty much kind of heard God kind of chuckle and say, okay, Daryl, now what's your excuse? Mm, Because I'd already been offered the same building. In fact, the very building that I'm in now, I'd been offered it by the building owner Mm. rent free for six months if I started a church. And I told him, no, I can't do that. Mm. So that led to we January of 2004, we started New Hope Fellowship Church with the dream and vision of growing a church to support a recovery ministry. Mm. And here we are 18 years later, and it's really the other way around. Uh, The recovery ministry, the demand and the need for the recovery ministry has taken, you know, the majority of my time, energy, et cetera. So New Hope Church has stayed very small. Mm. We're pretty much a house church with a building. Mm. Um, But the building then is meeting the needs of our groups and the counseling and individual and couples work I, I do with people and the work my wife does with her ladies and so that's our long cra- that's a very very short version of a long crazy god story mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that we wow. still don't fully understand mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. we're still here and um uh, we've been running i like i said i've had a continuous men's group multiple men's groups now here uh in this building since um march of march or april of 2001 Mm -hmm. wow wow what a journey yeah it has been a journey Mm -hmm. and we've used a number of different materials you know we started off with ted roberts pure desire book and materials and Mm -hmm. um then we've used you know mark laser stuff we've used a we've used a little bit from a whole bunch of different perspective, you know, perspectives. And then about 15 years ago, I, you know, I just had a sense that God was saying, okay, Daryl, I want you to take what you've learned from all these other sources. Cause you know, it, my groups really morphed into, uh, we weren't really using one book. We were using different things that I had pulled together And so out of that, um, felt a calling to start writing um, the manual that I now have as New Hope for Sexual Integrity. And that has been the foundation of our groups for about the last, I think, 10, 12, now probably more like 13, 14 years, Mm -hmm. Um, though it's constantly under revision because I keep learning new stuff. And uh, in fact, I've done a I've done I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years, especially around betrayal trauma and a deeper understanding of what the wives are going through. Yeah, and so I've already added a significant uh, a significant chapter, and then gone back through and uh, done a rewrite in many respects of a lot of things. But I have I have one more chapter that I'm 
dying to add and um, I'm hoping in a couple well in a couple weeks two and a half weeks I'm uh, headed to Colorado for a uh, an archery elk hunt and I'll take my laptop with me on the mountain and uh, in the middle of the day I'm hoping to crank out that last um, that last chapter for this significant rewrite because I haven't yeah. printed any uh, paper manuals in a year now because mm -hmm. I knew I needed to get this finished yeah. So, um, right. that's kind of a, the nuts, you know, a, a skim version of the journey of how I've gotten to where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that fantastic story and for being vulnerable, you know, talking about, um, what happens when we say no to God, we say yes to God, we say maybe, you know, I mean, that's, <clears throat> isn't that the journey that everybody has? I mean, so many people we have to, it's just that, you know, that relationship navigating that relationship with him and and um we get to see how he responds in all of those cases and yeah it's uh fascinating the different chapters of ministry and um yeah uh you're bringing back so many memories of my own journey too and that started in in 09 february of 09 so just mm. a few years later in february <laughs> you said february of 2000 right um and yeah, the uh, the idea of using multiple different resources and then starting to write our own material and uh, just just because of the same things, you know, pulling in so many different pieces. It's like um, I like I, I like the idea of um, having something that's um, uh, that we can modify, something that's mm -hmm. uh, moldable, you know, and um, an open document, an open, you know, uh, plane where we can we can just invite god to continue to teach us and grow us and then we pass that on to the people that we minister to you know that's beautiful so um well that yeah. was the interesting thing for me too is when i started writing i thought i was you know kind of doing a research paper bringing in all these other resources and put it in one document mm. and then what i was really surprised at is that i more than half of what i've written really didn't come out of materials that we used but came out of the experience of walking beside people in their journey right that so much of what i've written yeah. in my manual is really learned organically mm. by what worked mm. and what helped and what yeah. didn't and yeah. then what god has shown us as we have you know, I, I call this messy ministry. You know, mm. it's not the pretty everybody on Sunday morning in their Sunday best. It's being down in the gutter and the muck and the mess mm. and and mm. seeing from them the pain and the struggle and then the beauty of God meeting them in those places. Yeah. And so so much of my manual really came out from that perspective of this is how we've seen God meet mm. and meet with, join, walk alongside and bring healing for broken and wounded people, ourselves included. Right. Right. As it should be, right? Um, mm -hmm. Ministering from our own personal experience and journey of um, how God has grown us or and or, you know, ministering to people what we learn and um so yeah, some another question um, we didn't talk about that 
just came to mind. So just the perspective of being a pastor, talking to pastors, inviting inviting the church to embrace a recovery ministry, you know, when you think about, uh, I, I was just thinking about the pastors, the you know, youth pastors, lead pastors, all, all of the audience here that are listening today. What, I mean, why do you think a pastor would say no, or, or would say maybe, or whatever the, you know, whatever the case is, is just to be resistant to um, inviting this kind of thing and, and ministering to the people in, in their church, especially with, you know, parachurch minister or something, you know, out, outside of their walls and inviting that in. Why, why do you think he would say or she would say no to that? Well, I, I think there's many reasons. Um, best case scenario is, you know, I think many, you know, some in ministry are in denial still. They think, oh, well, you know, our people don't struggle this way or uh, et cetera. Um, uh, for many, you know, that's that's best case scenario is just naivete mm-hmm. or obliviousness. Yeah. Um, then you start moving down a scale and the next step is fear. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I mentioned pornography from the pulpit one time and I got reamed by four different mothers who said, how dare you introduce that term to my kids? Mm. So there is a fear. This is a scary, difficult subject. Okay. And then unfortunately you get uh, further down that, you know, that continuum of, you know, I think problematic of why it's such an issue for the church is unfortunately it's a problem because so many church leaders do not want light shined on this subject because they've got their own secret basement Mm -hmm. and they've got, you know, their own secrets that they're hiding. And so the last thing that they want is any attention drawn to this because then they had run the risk of exposure or are forced to say, okay, I've got to deal with this myself. Yeah. Um, For example, I cannot tell you how many times um, someone has gotten a hold of my material or listened to some of my teaching or gotten one of my videos and said, oh, we we want to have you to our church. We want you to come to a seminar. Uh, You know, I remember probably 15 years ago, we had uh, some people in Hawaii and they wanted my wife and I to come out. They were going to put us up. They were going to give us a few days to enjoy the island. Oh, it was you what know, a terrible invitation. Like, yeah, just That's... a horrible invitation. <laughs> and we were excited about it. And, um, you know, they had they were working up. We had dates. We had an outline. We had everything going. And we were right up to the point, uh, you know, the church leadership was on board. They said, yeah, we need this. This is a huge issue. We got right up to the point of ready to order the airline tickets. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email from them saying, um, leadership is pulling the plug. This is too scary for them. Mm. And yeah. so what I will tell you is I can't tell you how many times churches, I've had someone from a church contact me. We've been in conversations. And right before we get to the point of spending the money, buying the plane tickets, making the commitment, yeah, this is absolutely going to happen. Somebody in leadership gets cold feet, pulls the plug because 
this is too hot of a potato for us. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm afraid to say that I think a big portion of that, some, a lot of it is just fear. Yeah. But I think oftentimes it is a combination. Well, first of all, you know, the enemy does not want this talked about. Right. The enemy, you know, would much prefer to work in darkness. Hmm. And so he works really hard keeping it in the dark. Yeah. And so the enemy, you know, I tell people, okay, you know, if you want to have me come, you need to be prepared for opposition. And it, it, that people nod their heads, say, yeah, it's important. We see the need for it and you need to be prepared at some point. Somebody's going to subtly pull up that, well, you know, what about this? Or is, do we, is, do we really have the funds or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you know, the statistics, I'm sure, Michael, um, mm -hmm. 70% of men in most, you know, in, in, a, in churches are looking at porn during the week. Yeah. Yeah. That's the and, survey that Barna did and all that. And yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, that's been my experience mm -hmm. too, talking to, you know, uh, individuals and, and past, even pastors and, and, you know, the pastors are not immune to this. No, no. In fact, no, no. pastors are incredibly vulnerable to it because of many factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from that, there is great fear of addressing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And the patriarchy in our churches also magnifies this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's done a great, great disservice and a great harm to, or it's perpetuated great harm and abuse toward the women in our churches. Because mm -hmm. there are so many suffering wives who are afraid to speak up because they're afraid that that they will be that that well they're first of all afraid that that would be you know telling their husband's dirty laundry or they would be an unsubmissive mm -hmm. wife etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. and 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 part of that perpetuation is because of how few churches are willing to address it mm -hmm. Or if it is addressed, addressed in very shallow ways of, well, porn's bad, don't do it. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's not helpful. No, it's not helpful. <laughs> I think we already knew that, Daryl, when we were looking at porn years ago, didn't we? Like, um, it's bad, like don't said, do it. <laughs> you there, said was it. there was never a day in my life that I looked mm. at porn that I didn't know it was wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't understand... Yeah. I didn't understand what it was doing for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the deep hurts that it was addressing. I didn't understand that it was my learned way to escape the reality in which I lived. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. learn. I didn't understand how much of it had been um, almost passed down to me on a DNA level from previous generations. Yeah. I didn't understand exactly. that um, getting out of it would be the hardest and best thing I would ever do in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. And yeah, it's the same, you know, for, for the pastor that's struggling too out there that's listening right now. He's, you know, he's doing the same, using it to cope 
to cope with so many different things. Um, uh, there could be a lot of loneliness in leadership and the uh, all the output and how exhausting it can be to mm-hmm. um, to do that and to have that role and that that responsibility and preparing messages, whatever it is, you know, and all the stressors. And he's you know, he's doing the same thing and understanding and learning that where does it well, really come from is so vital. Yeah, and even even bigger than that though is just you know. Um, Pastors come from the same backgrounds that all of us come back from, mm-hmm. you know, pastors do not come from, uh, you know, very extremely healthy, loving, well-attached families, <laughs> right? You know, we, we came into ministry with our brokenness. Yeah. That and for many, of- and you know, myself included, even part of my sense of calling into ministry was a desperate attempt to run away from this struggle. Hmm. Oh, I can wow. remember even wow. high school and college thinking, well, surely when I'm fully devoted to God and doing, spending all my time working in ministry, then this struggle will, will go away. This will subside. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The lies and and uh, deception are pretty thick. Um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I uh, pray that that's helpful, you know. And I, I know that um, you and I both would love to take uh, a phone call, talk to a pastor confidentially, and and help you know help him out, build um, that pathway out. What does that look like? But mm-hmm. um, the fear, you know, is um, uh, so strong and, and the deception of the enemy. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you spelled it out so well. And those that, th- those are the ingredients that keep people under oppression. And we think that um, we live in denial. And those are some of the questions I was going to ask you about um, some of the writing that you've done on denial. We sure, think but that uh, we're going to be able I, to get out ourselves, you know. Can I touch on something else, though, in regard yeah. to pastors? Oh, yeah. What's really terrifying, even 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 more terrifying than the place the pastor is in, is the place his wife is in. Mm. Yeah. The pastor's wife who has some inkling. Mm-hmm. She has some fear that, yeah, I, I see the signs, or I've noticed a few things in a history. Or our sexual relationship is is painful. It's always conflictual. Or or maybe he doesn't pursue me at all. Right. You know, both extremes are there. Um, some men in sexual addiction then they they pers- they pursue their wife and they use their wife as part of their acting out. Some men in sexual addiction um, basically get their needs desires met elsewhere so they don't pursue their wife there's both and both yeah uh both wives are in incredible pain from that right and so one of the most lonely painful places in the world is the pastor's wife the uh, uh the minister's wife of a sexually addicted man mm. because you know, it's hard enough for a woman to know who to turn to, period. Right. 
But if you're the wife of someone in ministry, you know, who do I talk to? Because even just raising the question could cost my husband his job, could cost our family, our financial security. Mm, yeah. It's an incredibly terrifying and lonely place. And the the embarrassment, the public exposure. Well, um, and as yeah. you know from working with your wife, you know, the vast majority of wives, even when they discover their husband's struggle, even when intellectually they may understand, no, this isn't about me. This is about his choices. This is about his background. This is about how he was harmed mm -hmm. and how he's managing that harm. The vast majority of wives still wrestle with those lies in their own head that the enemy puts of, well, you weren't enough or right. you were too much. Yeah. And it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Right. And those lies, especially for a minister's wife, the wife of someone in ministry, just are leave them incredibly paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, so true. That is so true. So it's um, another factor of tremendous fear. And um, gosh, you know, that's, um, that, that, that's terrible to have to live under that, that kind of oppression, and fear sure. from the enemy, the lies. Gosh. Yeah, so true. Um, and, and we, uh, we do, we see a lot of, uh, I should say, Obviously, not enough, but we see many pastors and, mm -hmm. and their spouse and stuff coming into the ministry and, and receiving that. And um, I just want to say that uh, so many times, I think the things that we're afraid of, most of it doesn't happen. Some of right. it might. Yeah, some of it does. But I mean, the things that the enemy tricks us into believing that's going to happen if we expose this and bring it out into light, most of it doesn't ever. Most really of it doesn't place. happen, but in the moment, the most important thing is what I think is going to happen. Right. That is right. the driving force. Yeah. What I'm afraid is going to happen. You know, the fear center of our brain is level two of our brain. Mm. I mean, it, you know, we, you know, level one is attachment and very close next to it is, is our amygdala is our fear center. Yeah. And so when our fear center kicks in, it takes over. Mm -hmm. And what we are most afraid of controls so much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why so many times, um, and I've seen this, you know, heard the stories and guys say, if, if she knew everything, she would divorce me. And mm -hmm. uh, honestly, yes, there are for sure divorces that take place. Um, mm -hmm. But I have seen some really remarkable stories of reconciliation, and that doesn't always happen. You know, and as a matter of fact, with the guy that actually presses into recovery and actually does change and grow, I mean, women have this incredible capacity to be able to work through that and, and forgive that I don't fully understand myself. <laughs> how they do it uh, i have been so many of them i've been more i've been most amazed through the years not at women who walk away mm -hmm. but i've been most amazed at what women are willing to work through mm -hmm. if they have just even a glimmer of hope that their husband is trying to do his own recovery i tell my yeah. guys all the time 
that the rare exception is the wife who says, okay, now that I know that I'm out of here. Yeah. The vast majority of wives Mm -hmm. is okay. Now that I know that that hurts, it's horrible. I don't know how I can stay. I don't think I can stay. Mm -hmm. And yet by the grace of God, if the husband's doing his recovery, most of the time the wife finds strength, finds grace from God in ways that I don't fully fathom much of the time Mm -hmm. and stays. Yeah. And some of the stories that that I've heard, um, I understand why some of them do leave as well. Absolutely. um, You know, yeah. I mean, if I went through what they went through, I don't know that I would be able to. But um, so I just want to say, yeah, I can relate to that. But it is uh, it's it's remarkable to see um, some of those reconciliations. It's fantastic. Sure.